Right now, many churches are planning their budgets for the next fiscal year. You can promote your confessional Lutheran church and support the worldwide outreach of issues, etc. by becoming a congregational sponsor. When your church pledges $1,000, we'll publicize your congregation on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Learn more on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. Don't miss your congregation's budget deadline. Become an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. The hymn, The Head That Once Was Crowned With Thorns, The Head That Once Was Crowned With Thorns, is crowned with glory now, a royal diadem adorns the mighty victor's brow. Looking forward to Christ's return for judgment. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. on this Thanksgiving Day. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll be looking forward to this last Sunday of the church here, the final judgment in Math 25 with Pastor Sean Denzer. Then, in hour two, we'll replay a teaching by Dr. Tim Seleska on Psalm 67, the psalm appointed for a day of thanksgiving. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, welcome back. Great to be back. Why the return for judgment? This is the name of the article, Article 17 in the Augsburg Confession, on the topic of the end times. And it it just orients us to what our Lord is coming to do. I'm going to read it briefly and then talk about it. Also, our churches teach that at the consummation of the world, Christ will appear for judgment and will raise up all the dead. He will give to the godly and elect eternal life and everlasting joys, but ungodly men and the devils he will condemn to be tormented without end. We condemn the Anabaptists who think that there will be an end to the punishments of the condemned men and devils. And we condemn also others who are now spreading certain Jewish opinions that before the resurrection of the dead, the godly shall take possession of the kingdom of the world, the ungodly being everywhere suppressed. The number one reason why we speak of it as the return for judgment is to distinguish it from our Lord's first coming. So we've talked somewhat before, especially in Advent, about the way that the Old Testament prophets saw the end of the world when they speak apocalyptically. It's almost as if they've got the the points of the events on the timeline of the last day, if you want to call it that, lined up on the wrong axis. So they all seem like they're coming together, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of wrath like we heard last week, as well as a day of joy when sorrow and sighing flee away. It all is envisioned as one day. Even the return of our Lord to to destroy his enemies, the return of our Lord to give joy to his people, the return of our Lord to call the Gentiles to himself, all seen as one last day. We recognize that our Lord has come, he has gone up into heaven, and that he's going to return in the same way that we saw him depart into heaven. And that's why we speak of two comings of Christ. So his first was in the flesh to accomplish our salvation. The second will be just as he left, but will be particularly to judge the world. How would you give us an overview of this last Sunday of the church here? I think the gospel is a helpful place to start, but the theme of the judgment of the world by God is going to be clear throughout. So the gospel is going to be the parable of the sheep and the goats, the third of three little parables in Matthew 25 about the end of the world, following our Lord's own apocalyptic 
prophecy of the last days of the world, which he lines up through the destruction of the temple, kind of in a similar way that the Old Testament people do. So we'll hear the last judgment from our perspective as we get to hear the sheep and the goats give their protest or their surprise at the Lord's sentencing. In the epistle, we get to hear the last judgment from God's majestic perspective. We'll get to hear how he's going to come, how he's going to put all things in subjection under his feet. And the Old Testament really ties it well together. This is foretelling the Lord's judgment in both ways. It even uses the image of dividing out the various sheep, as a shepherd will do, that the Lord is coming to return to be the shepherd of his people himself and to be the judge, and that God is going to place David, his son, on the throne to be the one with the authority to judge. This, of course, is a prophecy fulfilled in Christ Jesus, the son of David himself. The intro it is Psalm 39, bits of that, with an antiphon from 2 Peter 3. In keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. This is a little unusual that it borrows from Second Peter, but also departs from the English Standard Version that otherwise we use. I think it was because of this last phrase, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. I believe ESV has a home in which righteousness dwells. I'm not sure what they saw as particularly advantageous about that translation, but it's looking forward to Uh, the end of the world, the bringing forth of eternal life. And this phrase, the home of righteousness, is going to tie in perfect with our gospel where the proclamation is given that they are going to inherit a kingdom and that this is going to be the place where the righteous go and enter into eternal life. The psalm itself, Psalm 39, speaks about considering our days very much like Psalm 90, the measure of our days, let me know what it is. Let me consider that I am a fleeting person, that the Lord has made my lifetime, not like his, eternal, but has made it uh, brief. Therefore, what in the world should we do? So I think at first, that consideration leads everybody to a form of despair because our hope comes to an end, our, our life comes to an end, and there's nothing we can do to stop that. But this is where Christ Jesus is our hope. That's what the psalmist says as well. What can I possibly wait for if I can't wait forever? Well, my hope is in you, and this is because he's the one who will deliver us, not only from our sins, that he'll see us through the judgment in him, we actually can stand on the last day, but that he'll also preserve us through all of the difficulties in this life, all of those who are attacking us. And I really love this last phrase as well, I'm a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. I don't think we think of visiting the Lord's house, but that is kind of the way it is here. We are in the Lord's presence as strangers now, seeing through a glass dimly, so many other passages that would be similar to that, and we are away from home fully right now. But at the last day, we will be fully at home with the Lord in his place forever, no longer as sojourners and as guests, but as those who will receive the inheritance of eternal life, as the gospel is going to tell us.
What is the collect? Eternal God, merciful Father, you have appointed your Son as judge of the living and dead. Enable us to wait for the day of his return with our eyes fixed on the kingdom prepared for your own from the foundation of the world through Jesus Christ our Lord. This collect, I think, is crafted definitely directly from these texts, and it does pull together the themes of the day in collect form quite well. The benefit of this is maybe a little obscured, and that's because it's wrapped into the petition itself, that waiting for the day of our Lord's return, being enabled to continue in that hope and to watch steadfastly, as we've heard the last couple weeks, is going to be accomplished by fixing our eyes on the benefit of his kingdom, which has been prepared for us. I think it's fitting at the end of the church year, as we put a rest to series A, that we also would end in the name of Jesus. And this collect, like so many, has that wonderful intentional ambiguity that uh, from the foundation of the world, it's been prepared for his own by Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, in the same way that we utter our prayers through Jesus Christ. The Old Testament reading, the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 34, 11 through 16 and 20 through 24. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost. And I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. This text, especially the first portion of it, is more often associated with the good shepherd themes. Uh, So in year C, we hear this in the middle of the season. Uh, Also, in the historical lectionary, we hear it on Easter 3, which is Good Shepherd Sunday in that lectionary. And you can see it's the emphasis on the Lord rising up to do this himself in the context of Ezekiel, especially because of the way the people have been led to and fro by fat, strong shepherds who have actually just gobbled them up instead of caring for the sheep, which was their job. 
It's definitely much more apocalyptic, though, in Ezekiel's writing and related to judgment. So in a sense, I, I think this is a good place for it. There's a bit of ambiguity, as we'll find in a couple places today, on whether they're scattered in this day of clouds and thick darkness or whether they're sought out and found on the day of clouds and thick darkness. If it were the latter, then it certainly would be connected to the last day as opposed to maybe they have been scattered and then the Lord comes as we would think when we hear, I am the good shepherd, the Lord comes in the flesh and then by means in his church constantly by his word to gather his own together. So since the shepherds appointed by the Lord have failed, the Lord is going to take matters into his own hands here. He's going to cast judgment on those who destroyed his people, who were butting around and trying to get ahead of everything, who were treating his flock like prey. But he is going to rescue the weak, bind them up, all of the images of making whole. This is what he's going to do. And he's going to judge, as it says, between sheep and sheep, leading us up to sheep and goats, which in the time of Israel is is quite interchangeable, as we see even in the sacrifices. You can take your sacrifice from the sheep or from the goats, etc. It says that many times. Finally, though, I think it's great to notice how The prophecy is that David, his servant, is going to be the true shepherd of Israel, the one who is set up with this particular task of judgment. And this is a prophecy of the judgment being handed over to Christ. Jesus says elsewhere that all authority has been given to me, also that all judgment has been given over to the Son by the Father. He's the one who's going to enact this judgment at the last day. When it says that he's going to be among the people, I suppose it's up to our question whether that's referring to the incarnation, his first coming, that he's going to be among us, known among us, that his words are going to be judging between us, as John's gospel says, or whether it's speaking about his being among us again in eternal life, defining the character of the eternal life, that when his sheep are rescued, you will know that because they'll be with him. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. He's Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, the last Sunday of the church year, moving toward Matthew 25 and the final judgment. Before we get there, Psalm 95. Are you thankful for the worldwide outreach of issues, etc.? Please consider making a special Thanksgiving gift. You can make a secure online donation at issuesetc.org. You can also contribute by check. Make your check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. For a year-end contribution of $250 or more, we'll send you our forthcoming book, Objections Overruled 3, and a new recording of 15 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. As we prepare to gather with loved ones this Thanksgiving and thank God for the blessings He has provided, we want to give thanks for all who support Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries. Hi, my name is Rahima Kavuga, Director of Synod Relations at Lutheran Church Extension Fund. At LCEF, we believe in nurturing the growth of LCMS ministries, ensuring they have resources they need to thrive. And we can't do it without our investors, partners, and employees. From all of us at LCEF, thank you and happy Thanksgiving. Declaring to you the whole counsel of God, you're listening to Issues Etc.
Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. St. Jacoby Lutheran Church in the North Woods of Wisconsin, located in Shano, has a special guest each and every week. It isn't you, but it is Jesus Christ. He is guest, and yet he is also the one who comes to serve you with his preached word and broken body and shed blood. You are invited to be served by Jesus with us at St. Jacoby on Saturday evenings at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Visit www.stjakobi.org for more information. We've already referred to marriage as the highest call within the family, but there's another call to the Christian who is single that mirrors the supreme call. Not any horizontal call, but the vertical call. It is the call to be a Christian who lives in singleness. Such a Christian can shine the vertical call of God even more brightly than a married Christian can. At the same time, for single people in Christ, singleness has everything to do with family. That's how a chapter on living as a single Christian begins. In the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, Faith That Shines in the Culture, You'll find this book at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House. Ask for Faith That Shines in the Culture, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We're looking forward to the last Sunday of the church year. The psalm for this coming Sunday, Psalm 95, the first seven verses. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. As a response to what we've just heard from Ezekiel and the judging of the sheep and the goats and the rescuing especially of his sheep that had been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness, this psalm really is a fine comment on the joy of the sheep in particular that are gathered into the Lord's flock and preserved. Or if we're to look at the gospel reading, looking ahead to the judgment of the sheep and the goats, this is the joy of the sheep alone entering into the inheritance kind of a post-judgment vision of them rejoicing in their Lord as they go away and enter into his courts, and the wicked have already departed. As a comment on the previous, however, I am surprised that again, as in so many places in the American church, Psalm 95 has been cut off partway through. So when we sing it in the Venite, we sing it like this now, but it was once sung completely, entirely through. And the next verses are particularly important. They're the ones that are cited in Hebrews as the sermon is being preached. Today, if you'll hear my voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation, as at Meribah and Massa when they tested my ways. For 40 years long, I was grieved with this generation and said, there are people who err in their hearts. 
they do not set my ways before them. Therefore, I swore in my wrath that they will not enter into my rest. I see why we don't want to read those parts there. They're harsh judgment. But remember, this is the return of Christ for judgment. And that's a key part of what we just heard from Ezekiel, his condemnation of those who despised his word, his own people who had abandoned what he had given them. So we barely ever get to that last section. In fact, we only get as far as verse 9 across all of the lectionaries. But I think it would be especially helpful for our listeners who have the whole scriptures at their hand to read all of Psalm 95 and keep that in mind whenever you hear it, because this is both a psalm of joy for God's people as well as a warning, which is exactly how we have it today in the gospel reading as well, that the judgment follows the joy of the blessedness of heaven as a warning Of course, at the last day, that will be the thing that's set aside for the sake of the joy of eternal life. For now, though, the warning is worth keeping in our vision. The epistle reading comes from 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it's plain He is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. So we begin today with the answer to that famous rhetorical question of Paul, if Christ were not raised— What then? Well, then our faith is dead and there's no purpose. We're miserable people. The resurrection is not an option. It's not an option because our faith is based on Christ's actual true resurrection from the dead, that he is not a dead God of the dead, but a living God of the living. Likewise, then, that he is not the only one, but that we also will rise with him which is why his resurrection is tied to the hope of our own resurrection so clearly. This is brought out when it mentions that he is the first fruits. So Paul kind of lays out the ordering, and here this ordering is maybe a little less the ordering of time as it is of priority. You see that when we get to the subjection of even the Son to God the Father, as it says at the end. So this is not so much a chronological matter, but a matter of importance, of priority, that Christ is first, and it certainly is true that he has risen from the dead, even though we perhaps have not died yet. But at the last day, we will rise with him, just as Jesus said so clearly, the grain goes into the ground and then brings forth not just one little kernel of grain, but brings forth a plant with many heads of grain. This is the way the resurrection will be. Jesus has died just as Adam has, so now he is alive and he raises all the sons of Adam as well. So we have a reprise of something Paul says elsewhere about sin came through Adam, life comes through Christ. And I think it's very important to see that life comes to all here, just as we heard elsewhere in our collect as well. All shall be made alive. This means that the dead will all rise 
even though not all of them will rise to eternal life. It speaks then at the last day that something that has been in process, at least as it looks to our eyes, something has been in process will come to completion, which is the putting of all things under subjection to Christ's feet. We know that this was fully accomplished by his death. Satan fell like lightning from heaven. He was cast down. It is finished, Jesus says. So there's nothing really left to be accomplished. And yet we don't see that effect taking hold to our eyes yet. We don't see the devil weak and destroyed. We see him powerful and tempting us all the time. This will be put right at the last day. All things will truly be in subjection under his feet. And we will know that by the resurrection because the last enemy, as it's called, the final, the utter, the bitter enemy, the wages of sin is death. So when death has been entirely undone, when all, even those who will go into the second death and eternal damnation, when they are risen from the dead, so that death can't even claim them as his own properly, as as all those cartoonish versions of the devil's kingdom go, then we will know indeed that Christ has all things in subjection under him. So this is the judgment of God shown not from our angle asking the question of how will I withstand the judgment, but this is from the Lord's angle, his majesty. Psalm 8 is quoted. That's where it says, you have put all things in subjection under his feet. And it says then that even the son is to be subject to his father. How is that? And that's a little strange since we don't think of the son being subordinated in any way, but co-equal with God in his majesty. Well, what it's saying is, just as Jesus says in the Gospels, when I am doing the will of my Father, this is why he is well-pleased in me. So this is the well-pleasing work, the final well-pleasing work, I suppose, in Christ's works, which is to be the judge of the living and the dead, to put all things in subjection, to bring to our eyesight just what he has accomplished by his death, and to show that the devil is subject to him, is under him, and God is now all in all. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, the last Sunday of the church year and the final judgment found in Matthew's gospel. When we come back, the gradual and the verse leading up to that gospel. Lutheran talk. The cause of our salvation doesn't lie within us, but instead it lies outside of us, namely in the mercy of our God who sends his Son to live and die and rise again for us. Lutheran music. Listen anytime, anywhere with the Lutheran Public Radio mobile app. Download for iPhone, Android, and Kindle at issuesetc.org. Two millennia ago, Pilate uttered one of the most profound questions that we still ask in the modern era. What is truth? Many today would say that truth, like beauty, is in the eye of the beholder, or perhaps in the heart. But that's not what truth is for the Christian people of God. Truth is found in Christ alone. To learn more about the Lutheran view of truth, pick up the November issue of The Lutheran Witness. Visit cph.org witness or our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. 
You can teach lay people theology. You're listening to Issues Etc. This is Pastor Matthew Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The LCMS operates the second largest parochial school system in the United States. What can you expect from a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school? There's one race, the human race. And Jesus died for the sins of every man, woman, and child from every land and every nation. Life begins at conception. All life is precious from womb to tomb. And every student, parent, and teacher is created in the very image of God. There's right and wrong, and we know which is which from the Ten Commandments. There are only two sexes, male and female, he created them. Marriage is the lifelong union of one man and one woman. There's such a thing as objective, absolute truth, and it's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ and His Word. To find a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school near you, visit lcms.org schools. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. on this Thanksgiving Day. We are looking forward to Sunday morning, the last Sunday of the church here with Sean Denzer. He's Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, what are the gradual and the verse leading up to the gospel reading? The gradual that started with All Saints Day really kind of comes to fruition here nicely at the last day of the church here. These are the ones coming out of the Great Tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. The scriptures has presented to us, I guess, this mixed metaphor of the lamb who is himself a shepherd. That could be confusing, I suppose. But the Bible's given us both those pictures, and it's nice that we have them today together. Who are the ones coming out of the Great Tribulation? Here, I think we're led to believe they're the sheep that are rescued by the Lord, especially in the gospel reading that we're about to come to. We hear about them being the blessed of the Father, receiving the inheritance prepared for them from the foundation of the world. That's going to be Jesus' words, quoting the Father's message at the last day. What is the blessedness? Well, here it's unfolded with this passage from Revelation and the passage from Psalm 84. Their blessedness is to know their judge and to find their strength in his great mercy. Uh, which led them also to to show many acts of love in this life as well. And I think we have the key to the the marvelous phrase in the blessing from today's gospel, that it is a salvation, it is an inheritance that was prepared for them from the foundation of the world. And that's what Revelation 13.8 says too. It speaks about the book of life, names that have been written in them, the book of the Lamb, who was slain from the foundation of the world. Now, there is some obscurity there in where that timing is as well in Revelation, whether his slaying, his death, is so foundational that it's called a death from the foundation of the world, or whether the book in which our names are written was written from the foundation of the world. I think the connection between the two should be our focus, that the inheritance that the Lord has planned from eternity has been prepared and accomplished by the end time once and for all, and yet cosmically efficacious shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. So it's fantastic that we hear the word preparation in our gospel, but here now we have why. Well, the blood of the Lamb is what has prepared it for them. 
the verses, Alleluia, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, Alleluia, from Revelation 22, 13. This is actually the same in year B as well. C has something that's a little more overtly Christ the King from Luke's Gospel. Uh, but here, I mean, obviously it makes sense that the Omega, the end, uh, that Jesus is referred to, the last, uh, is to say that he is going to be the one who is going to bring in the last day, uh, the end of the world with its judgment. But I think it's a fantastic message to hear also, unless our Lord should come between now and Sunday and the week after, we stand at the crossroads and the uh, the seam, right, of this never-ending circle, this ring, into the next church year. So we've gone through one omega, and now we're back up at alpha again. Fine for our church year season as well, but to recognize that Christ is before all things, that he is truly God, co-equal in majesty with the Father, and also now has come in time and ushered in the last days by his death and resurrection. We come now to the gospel reading, Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. Jesus said, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you and thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then you will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I really love the subtlety that Christ has here, and it does this a few times in Luke's gospel also if you're following the narration. But here it's right in the mouth of Jesus. He switches voices, right? He's talking about the Son of Man coming in his glory. We know that that's a phrase for the Messiah. It seems to be a a phrase that Jesus is using for himself already. And then suddenly he says, the king will say. Who's the king? It's obviously the son of man, same person. So Jesus is the king. That is the point that's being made here. He will be the one who is accomplishing and effecting this judgment at the last day. Now, as we look at this judgment, he sits down on his throne, he gathers all of his angels, he separates all the sheep, and we should just observe first and foremost that our courtroom experience may not carry us all the way here. 
this is a different presentation of judgment. It's not following the American system. That should go without saying. But it just, I, I think, is somewhat foreign to us. And so a few of the details won't be that helpful unless we just take the Bible according to its own logic and, and statement here. So a couple of observations on that score. The decision seems to be made already, unless you want to call the dividing out the deciding. But the Lord seems to know where they go. So that's already been determined in his wisdom. And that's the sort of hands-on judge that the Lord is presented as. Second, we might call it more of a sentencing. There's no evidentiary hearing. There's no jury deliberation or any of that. It's We go straight to, now that we've separated you out, we're going to hand over the sentence. And the evidence does come into play, but it's not for our purposes. It's for the judge's purposes, and he brings it after the fact. So, I mean, again, not to say that we have to criticize the American justice system or any of that. This is simply the way the last day is presented to us. I think those details will be helpful to see. The announcement, though, is something to focus on. What does he say immediately to those sheep? Come, blessed of the Father, to receive an inheritance, a kingdom that is prepared for you. Even from the foundation of the world, that means well before you were even born. All of these things are passive. All of these things communicate the gift nature of this eternal life, that this is of the Lord's mercies and grace uh, that is given to faith. So I think simply seeing that is very helpful. It's going to be a judgment. He's going to make significant reference to the works. And yet with those words, it could not be clearer to the sheep that this is an inheritance, that it is a grace of the Lord, that it is by his mercies that we are receiving this benefit. So the Lord then delights to speak of the works of his own people anyway, and this is a surprise to the sheep. So before anything else, he gives them this blessing entirely prepared for them by the Lord and then extols all of the great things they have done for him. And that's what elicits the surprise, the question, when did we see you? That's going to be important when we look also at the goats, but when did we see you in this condition and help you, Lord? And the sheep don't seem to recognize this. And then the Lord says a phrase that to us seems incredibly common. We've heard this just uttered and referenced in hymns so many times. But we have to remember that this is quite remarkable, that he would say, when you've done something, some act of love, some act of kindness in this way, when you've kept the love and the concern for your neighbor at your forefront and shown yourself to be merciful, to any of the least of these, it is credited as if you had done it to me. And then this is a great joy to see that they were, in fact, serving Christ Jesus, even as they were serving their fellow Christians and neighbors. Now, the opposite of inheritance is depicted here and is depicted to depart and to be separated from the Lord's favor. And uh, this is very tragic. This is much like the uh, phrase we heard a couple weeks ago with the ten virgins when Jesus said, depart from me because I don't even know who you are. These are the worst words that could possibly be heard. And notice where the goats are sent, where they are told to depart to. It's to the place that has been prepared, not for them, not for the Lord's sheep, but in fact prepared for the devil and his demons, the devil and his angels. This, I think, also shows something of our Lord's character. I would point to this, I think, contrasting with the idea that the Lord has, from the foundation of the world, just kind of 
randomly or arbitrarily appointed some people for eternal life and some people for damnation, this double predestination, since he has not prepared in the same way a place for them. In fact, this is not how it ought to be that some are departing into judgment. It ought to be that all belong to Christ Jesus and that it is not is sin's deadly effect, to which the Lord is not going to compel those who refuse him but he has come with the intention that, as he says very clearly in the scriptures, that all may have life, that he may be the one God gave his son, that the whole world might be saved through him. And I think most clearly that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So the goats are sent away, they're given the sentence, and they're told all the things that they did not accomplish And the goats are mad because they want to have some judgment. They want to have some evidence shown for why this happened. When did we not see you in all this condition? When did we not help you, Lord? We certainly would have if we had seen you. Notice it's not an appeal to mercy. It's not an appeal to the favor, to the giving nature of this God, this king who is giving an inheritance. But it is an appeal to their own works. And the Lord then permits them to be answered as they wish, to be judged by the standard they give, and they are not shown to be pleasing on account of that. When did we see you and not do it? How many times did we not? Well, that's what can be shown to them now, and that every missing infraction is a place done not only neglecting a neighbor, but neglecting also the Lord himself. And I think it's it's very helpful for us to see the difference here. When did we see you? Well, we didn't, the sheep say, but we did things, and whatever was done, in fact, proved to be for the Lord and was pleasing on account of faith. On the other hand, the goats ask a different question. When did we not do these things? Kind of implying that they had done everything and that they're surprised to find that anything is missing at all. And therefore, the Lord can say, I mean, if that's the standard to be judged by, you have missed the mark. All have sinned and fallen short of that mark of that glory of God. The sheep, on the other hand, were never aiming for that mark of God as if they were earning their way into the Lord's graces. They did it on account of love for him, that they also showed mercy to their neighbors. We're looking forward to the last Sunday of the church year. According to the three-year lectionary, I'm Todd Wilkin, your link to issues, etc. Folks, on this Thanksgiving day, if you're thankful for the worldwide outreach of issues, etc., please make a year-end donation. For a gift of $250 or more, we'll send you a new recording of 15 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir and our latest book, Objections Overruled 3, Answering Arguments Against Christianity. You can make a secure financial contribution on the support donate page at issuesetc.org. You can also donate by check, make your check payable to Issues Etc., and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Thanks for listening, and thanks for your support. On the other side, what is the message of this gospel reading? How can Christians live out their faith in the church, the family, and the government? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November 
Faith That Shines in the Culture. It's written by regular guest Dr. Alfonso Espinosa. Learn more about Faith That Shines in the Culture at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. Faith That Shines in the Culture, the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for November. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com. LutherAcademy.com. Issues Etc. guest Dr. Ben Mays of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Here's what Martin Luther says about the pastoral office. My pastor is practicing the virtue that increases God's kingdom, fills heaven with saints, plunders hell, robs the devil, wards off death, represses sin, preserves peace and unity, and plants all kinds of virtue in the people. In a word, he is making a new world. He builds not a poor temporary house, but an eternal and beautiful paradise in which God himself is glad to dwell. We are calling good men to step up. Come to Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Learn more about studying for the vocation of pastor at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Grace, Faith, Scripture, and Christ Alone. You're listening to Issues Etc. Teaching your student to read should not be complicated. Memoria Press's Phonics uses common sense and the classical approach with their First Start Reading program for the most effective and efficient way to teach your child how to read. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. For your next family vacation, consider Our Beach House, a charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's best, is just 100 steps away. Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at SiestaKeyRentalGenie.com or call Virginia at Stanza four of the hymn for the last Sunday of the church year for the three-year lectionary, the head that once was crowned with thorns. We're looking forward to that Sunday with Sean Denzer. He's director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, before the break, we were talking about this great gospel reading and the sheep and the goats account of the judgment. What is the message of that account? Remember, it comes in line with the last two parables and also with everything Jesus said about the last day in Matthew 24. 
all of which are driving us to two things. The primary thing is to know Jesus Christ, to understand who he is. In fact, the very next phrase begins the Matthew's passion, where Jesus predicts his passion, and then it speaks also about how everybody's plotting to crucify him, not on the feast, let there be an uproar, etc. Whereas at the end of Matthew 24, it says we should be ready at all times. We're waiting for the coming of the Son of Man. We want to be those who straighten up our heads and are glad to see him coming because his word will never pass away. And then as a result of that, that we are busy as a wise and faithful servant ought to be, giving out the food at the proper time, serving him as he expects, blesses the one who is found by his master, doing the things that he was told to do on the day that he comes. And yet we do not know the day or the hour to expect. So then all of that is in play here in Matthew's gospel. We see as those who are Christians what pleases our Lord, which is to serve others, which is to uh, care for the fellow saints of God, and to serve them in what a remarkable way that to serve them, in fact, is how we would serve our Lord. This is what leads us to do something kind of bold in our our divine service, where we say faith is toward God and fervent love is toward one another. When the scriptures, at least in one place, also say, love God and love your neighbor, we direct our love to God also toward our neighbor because of this gospel reading, that what we do to the least of these is, in fact, the way in which the Lord wishes to be served directly. He wants to see us doing our job for the sake of those around and under us. And it is a warning, absolutely, that those who think we can sit back, despise the Lord, and trust in our own works will have no shortage of failures and cause for judgment at the last day. Rather, to bank everything on Christ Jesus and to serve him to our best is to bank on the fact that he is giving this eternal life by his great and unending grace. To say to us at the last day, come, blessed of my Father, receive the inheritance prepared for you from the foundation of the world. What would you have to say about the hymn that we've been hearing portions of, the head that once was crowned with thorns? I'll speak about that in a moment. I want to mention one other hymn. So I think last Sunday when we heard the quintessential Lutheran end times hymn, The Day is Surely Drawing Near, that's a great one. It even mentions the sheep and the goats and dividing them. That would fit very well with this, but maybe we don't want to sing the same hymn twice in a row. And we're at a bit of a difficulty in the Lutheran Church because we are so used to, for many generations, at least in America, singing Wake, Awake, for Night is Flying, not on the third last Sunday as we did a couple weeks ago, but on the very last Sunday. So what could possibly have the kind of weight to supplant that? I would suggest considering an old hymn that hasn't come into Lutheran service book. That's number 607 in the Lutheran hymnal, Day of Wrath, O Day of Mourning. This is a famous sequence hymn that is still sung in the Roman Catholic Church also. It starts pretty harsh. It certainly focuses on all of the painful and frightening matters of judgment. seems to be a bit of a goat perspective. Uh, But by the time it comes to the end of the hymn, I find it to be remarkably evangelical. It speaks not only that we want to be among the sheep and not abased with the goats, but it also draws on all of the ones that the Lord showed his grace and mercy to in the Gospels, just in the same way, by the way, that we hear the sheep have done for the least of those that the Lord credited as being done to himself. So treat me, Lord, like one of your suppliants. Treat me like that sinful woman who was saved. Treat me like the thief who was dying on the cross, who you said, today you'll be with me in paradise. 
treat me like Lazarus. So all of these pictures, I think, are quite evangelical. This is now a hymn that is uttered as a Christian saying, Lord, I trust in you. You are the means by which I can stand on the last day and come through the judgment as one who will enter into eternal life and be able to receive it as an inheritance. So I think that hymn, even though it suffers from the bad title problem, Day of Wrath, Day of Mourning, does not sound like anyone's favorite hymn. But I think you'll find there are some quite beautiful evangelical phrases toward the latter part of that hymn, and it's worth it for that. Now, the hymn that we have is a fine Anglican hymn, The Head That Once Was Crowned With Thorns. It it definitely pushes us in the direction of Christ the King Sunday, and a little less on the judgment So this is maybe setting aside all of the shame, all of the things, if you want to take this moment as a retrospective on the life of Christ and all the things we've heard in Matthew's gospel, then this hymn does a good job of pointing that Christ is now set on his throne. Maybe this is more of a, in keeping with our epistle, that he is the king, that now the shame is done away with, that by his shame and suffering and his cross, in fact, we have great joy that this is the blood of the Lamb that covers over our sins. This is the means by which our inheritance has been prepared. And then we are given some courage to suffer below, to continue on through whatever we face, knowing that we will reign with him above, knowing that he is only the first fruits of eternal life. And so we can follow him in that hope and that joy. How would you summarize this coming Sunday, this final Sunday of the church here, we close one church here and prepare to open a new one. They flow into each other naturally. Advent looks forward to all of the comings of Christ Jesus, particularly his coming in the flesh as we're about to celebrate it, his perpetual coming in his word and in his sacrament as another year of that unfolding of his word begins, but also still to his return to put all things visibly in subjection under his feet. So at the end of the church here, we focus especially on that judgment, his return for judgment, which will continue to mark our life always, that we will always at all times be eagerly waiting and expecting his return. But to come to an end and to take up a new beginning is not wrong for us in this life. It is extremely helpful to consider this, knowing that one day it will come to an end and be nothing but perpetual beginning and continuance in eternal life. For that we wait. We don't want to lose hope. And in the meantime, we want to serve our Lord. And the way to serve him best is by looking to the needs of our neighbors. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. LCMS Worship is hosting the LCMS Institute on Liturgy, Preaching, and Church Music July the 9th through the 12th in 2024 at Concordia University, Nebraska. Learn more on the Talk On Demand archives page at issuesetc.org. Sean, thanks. Happy Thanksgiving. After the break, an encore interview with Dr. Timothy Seleska, Old Testament professor at Concordia Seminary and author of the Concordia Commentary on Psalms. He'll lead us in a teaching on Psalm 67, the psalm appointed for a day of Thanksgiving. I'm Todd Wilkin. Stay with us.
Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., PO Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. What makes Christ Our Savior Lutheran Church in Freeburg, Illinois so special? Our new members talk about the family atmosphere, the welcoming people, and the outstanding music. But most importantly, you'll be confronted with your sin and comforted with the assurance that Jesus has removed that sin so that you can live each day as his baptized and forgiven child. Christ Our Savior Lutheran Church is at 612 North State Street in Freeburg, Illinois. Sunday worship is at 9 a.m., Sunday school and Bible classes at 1020 a.m. Call 618-539-5664. College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com. I am beautiful because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am accepted because I'm a part of his family through Jesus' shed blood. Unity Lutheran School in East St. Louis, Illinois, shines the light of Christ in one of the most impoverished cities in America. Learn how to support their mission work at unityesl.org. Unityesl.org. Today, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I say yes to God in His ways.